How are the leaders at all levels of management tackling the toughest challenges each day? That's the question. And this podcast is the answer. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'm bringing on the brightest minds in management to share practical solutions to those challenges you're facing. Let's get ready to jam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Rob DeToto, who's Vice President of U.S. Commercial for a large medical device organization. And Rob has over 25 years of healthcare experience with 15 years of leadership experience. Now, Rob has a unique background where you'll hear him talk about his leadership experience as an officer in the fire services, as well as his leadership experience in the corporate world. And I think you'll find tremendous value and hearing him talk about his thoughts on team culture and his approach on how he turned around bad cultures into great ones. Rob, welcome to the Jam Session. Thanks for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. Are you ready to jam? I'm ready to jam. All right. During my time working with your team over the past year and, and, and getting to know you a little bit, it's clear that you are very passionate about leading teams, just leadership in general. My question for you is why? Why are you so passionate about it? It's a passion that I acquired over the last few years of being a leader and taking on different leadership roles. Some people say people are born leaders. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think that people have innate qualities of a leader at different points in their lives or, or even in, in their younger days. But leadership is definitely something that is learned. It's a skill. It's a skill that needs to be practiced. There's different components of leadership that also need to be learned and practiced. And I find it very interesting to, to tap into the psychological aspect of, of people and what motivates them, what, what causes them to respond to things that you ask them to do and what gets them to the point where they start producing. So what would you say is important to you in terms of like your leadership style or how you approach leading teams? Well, I think the most important thing that, that any leader can, can do is, is to be transparent with their team. One of the things that, that I have done throughout my life and all the different leadership roles that I've had, both inside my current profession and outside my profession, transparency, telling people what's on your mind in a respectful way, of course, but telling people what's on your mind so that they don't have to guess and, and, and wonder what you're thinking. And then the other main component really is trust. I know I've said this to you before, but some people take time to build trust with other individuals and that's okay. If that's the way they are. That's okay. But I, I do it a little differently. And sometimes I wonder if it is the correct way or not, but it works for me. And I start people with the highest level of trust. And they can only go down from the, from the point at which they start. But what it does is it creates a mutual respect for one another. And I expect these individuals and I hope that they would trust me if I'm trusting them to the point that I do. So I think transparency and trust is, is huge in building teams, building a culture and driving performance. Talking about culture, because I know this is a topic that's pretty important to you as well. You've had some experience in in coming in and, and turning around some cultures. And maybe you can yeah. share a little bit about that because I know the team that, that you took over in, in your current role, the culture was not as, as good as one would hope it would be, right? It had some retention issues, some challenges within the culture to say the least. And you came in and, and you had to turn that around, which you did. So maybe you can share a little bit of just your whole philosophy on cultures, your approach to it. Yeah, I mean, that's great. And I'm glad you brought that up, Rob. One of the things that I, I found is culture is a, a trigger word for people in a way. People hear that word and they, they blame everything on culture. 
I tend to wonder if people even know what the word means. So I, I dug into that a little bit myself and how it affects an organization. To your point, and I know you know some of my history, this happened to me three different times where I had to define culture, at least for myself and for the organization that I was leading. I'm a volunteer fireman, I have been for 22 years, and about 15 of those years, I was in a leadership role. And when I took over as, as chief of the department, there wasn't necessarily a major cultural issue that was going on. But what we had to deal with was change in, in some of the operational behavior that people had. People just weren't motivated. They weren't driven. Our call response times were low and people weren't coming out and, and answering calls to the point at which I, would, I was feeling comfortable. And, and so I had to sit there and, and first go back to what I was saying before, establish trust, transparency with the team, but also to find what motivates these individuals. Slowly but surely, things started to turn around a little bit and we, we ended up having relatively good response times, um, never had any issues with, with people not coming out to the required calls. But I translate some of this to, to business and, and let me go into the business aspect because when, when I took over a smaller business within my organization that I worked for, I was with this organization when the leader came in, in a mid-level leadership position, but wasn't selected for the role at the time because I wasn't ready for it. And I agreed with my manager that at that time, I wasn't ready, although I was a little upset not getting the position as anybody would be. I learned that when you have failures, which I consider that a failure on my part, not getting the role, you change that into a positive and you find out what you can do to be better. The terminology I use is good. You didn't get the job. Now you have time to get better. And that's what you do with everything that comes in your life. As far as an obstacle is concerned, it gives you more time to get better. It gives you more time to learn. Anyway, the individual that came in didn't necessarily establish the best culture from a point of transparency and trust. People didn't know where really where the vision of the organization was going and uh, living that on the receiving end, I noticed that. And again, I learned from it. So I took over this position heading up that, that division just when COVID started. And now I'm trying to drive trust and transparency with a team, but I can't even see them in person. I can't go visit people in the field and establish relationships and really have people understand who I am. But we, we ended up getting through it through uh, visual communication, through WebEx, as everybody did during that time, and end up turning the business around and becoming very successful in that year, despite even competition coming out with new products. And as you alluded to, I took over this position that I'm in currently running a, a business that's about 10 times the size of the other one. And we had a similar situation where there was a cultural issue. The attrition rate was really high and I had to stabilize the business. So it came to the point of, again, sticking to your core principles, keeping things simple, being yourself. And that's what I did. And I, I listened to a mentor of mine tell me when I was a little apprehensive about the positions, wondering if I could do it. And everybody gets those jitters when they get a promotion into a big job. It's like, can I do this? And this gentleman said to me, just be yourself, do what you've done before and duplicate that. Just amplify it a little bit more and you'll be fine. And he was right. I established trust with my team. I have five vice presidents that report into me, a few directors that report into me. And I established that, that trust and transparency, which built the culture within my team. And the culture, as you asked before, like what my definition of that is, it's really our values that we have as individuals that translate into our behaviors that then 
form the culture. So if you have values that are set in a certain way, that drive behaviors that cause you to act a certain way, and it's people are responsive to that, that drives a culture. So when I had this culture established on my team, they then took that culture for each individual on my team and translated it to their leadership team, which then translated it to the sales force. And you slowly started to see a dynamic shift. And I wasn't anticipating seeing this dynamic shift to the extent at which I saw it until this year. My estimation was around Q2 of this year. I started to see it in Q3 of 2022, which was six months to seven months after I took over the position. Mm -hmm. And we started to see a decline in attrition, a drastic decline in attrition. And we started to see what's the easiest metric for sales individuals to determine performance, and that is an increase in sales numbers. And we started to see a shift in that where in Q3, Q4, and now in Q1 of this year, is going to be three consecutive quarters that we've hit our, our plan numbers. And I have to tell you, when you, uh, when you hear people come to you in an organization saying, hey, I hear things are going great, things are really going well, and I hear things are changing, you're happy with that, but you move on. And that's great. It's not that impactful to me. I have high expectations. Then you start hearing it from cross-functional leaders. You start hearing it from other divisional leaders outside of your division. And sorry, I'm good, good. It's like getting out there. But when you start hearing it from competitors, that's a different story. We started hearing from competitors, hey, what's going on over there? I'm interested in coming over and joining your team. That's a huge compliment. Culture, again, is your behaviors of value. That culture energizes the behavior that ultimately your strategy calls for in your organization, which drives the vision and mission. And it leads to performance and success. And that's amazing. Again, back to what I said in the very, very beginning, it's the psychology behind it. It's, it's just amazing how you could watch something transform in front of you, both in a positive and in some instances, depending on, on the quality of the leader, it could go the other way and sure. it could go the other way really quick. I mean, you're responsible for somewhere between five to 600 people, right? Just pretty, yeah. pretty large organization that, that you run which can be overwhelming when you're coming in and trying to change this culture. So if you just think back, was there anything you can point to within like the first month, first couple of months that, you know, or maybe some of the first steps that you took to try to change this culture? Yeah. I mean, again, it, it comes down to what was the reason why the culture was going in a negative direction. And you got to kind of try to uncover what was leading people to feel that the culture wasn't good. And when I would ask that question, I wouldn't get a good answer because again, I don't think people really understood what the word culture meant. Mm. It's one word that has a complex meaning and it's behaviors and values and that behaviors and values have meanings under them, right? You just have to kind of uncover it. And what I found was it was a lack of transparency. Nobody knew what the vision of the organization was. Nobody would, knew what our strategy was. I would guarantee that if you were at, well, if, any of my leaders would know what the strategy of, of our team is right now. Absolutely, 100%. I go down to the mid-level leader too. Maybe some of the newly hired individuals in the sales organization may not know 100% the complete strategy, but they will very shortly. The thing I did, though, was to keep things simple. Mm. And again, skipping over the transparency and trust portion because that's a standard and uncovering 
the fact that there was no trust and no transparency, that was very easy for me because I, I practice that and everything yeah. I do, both in my personal and professional life. But keeping things simple is, is another thing that, that I found to be very important. The more complexity you add to your strategy or to your leadership style or to what the organizational goals are, the higher likelihood that none of those things will get done. And if they do get done, they're not going to be done well. Yeah. So we kept things simple. There's so many things that we need to do that I established the ability to prioritize and execute on, on tasks. So we took the most important priorities and we executed on them, checked them off and moved on. When you're taking over a business that has a lot of different issues that need to be addressed, you feel like it's a, a barrel of water that has holes everywhere and you're trying to plug each of them up. You don't know which one to, to, to plug yeah. up first. But to me, the most important thing was to, to identify what the cause of the attrition was and to, and to rectify that. Because without your people, your organization doesn't exist. And that was the first thing that we did as a leadership team. We wrapped our arms around the attrition and kind of settled that down and then moved on to some of the other tasks and functions that we needed to address. But you do that by decentralizing the command. And again, going back to the fire service. Yeah. As a chief officer looking out at a building that's on fire, you see what's going on on the outside, but I don't know what's going on in the inside. And that's where you leave it to your, your lieutenants and your captain to make decisions on what they need to be doing inside, as long as they communicate to you as the leader, what's going on in their function. But I can't tell them what to do if I don't know what's going on. So you have to trust them again, trust your leaders and, and decentralize the command. And I did that with my vice president team and my directors is I, I gave them the autonomy to lead. And I don't think they ever experienced that before. So it was a little bit of a work curve and change of behavior for them, but they grasped it quickly. They opened, they had open arm. They loved the concept and you really see who your leaders are. And all of them, all of them stepped up and were fantastic. I didn't have to make any changes to my leadership team. Uh, we did have to make some changes to the lower level leadership team when we identified some performers that weren't optimal. And again, being in a position that I'm in looking 50,000 feet up down on some of it, I identified some, some risk with individuals that I brought to the attention of my personnel and they later found those risks to be valid and, and moved those people on, but decentralizing the command and allowing people to read and then helping one another out. This is one team that was no people in isolation running their specific function. Everybody was overlapping, helping one function out over another. So when you add all those things and keeping things simple, prioritizing and execution, decentralizing the command and, and, and each, each function helping one another out and, and being one team, things shift very quickly to the positive. Yeah. And, and that's why we were able to see within six months rather than a year in six months, the change in how the organization starting to flow. That's, I mean, that's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing your whole approach and, and your experience with that. It's interesting when I come across organizations and I work with a lot of that, again, it's, it's so easy to see the culture in terms of just not so great cultures. Usually I can pinpoint it at a leader at a high level that is just basically taking the approach of a dictator. Right. And not listening to their people, just making the decisions. But 
when I come across great cultures or, or cultures that have turned around. And again, I appreciate your humility as you were talking about how great your, your team did. But again, there's always the one leader at a high level that takes the time to go through the steps that, that you just talked about, right? And the first one being just listening, uncovering what is going on, right? right? Decentralizing it, giving autonomy. We make leadership at times far more complicated than what it really needs to be, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. That's why I keep it simple because it really isn't that hard. But the great thing about about being a leader, especially the higher level you go in an organization, yeah, you have more responsibility. But the, the, the biggest part of the responsibility that you have is really getting the, the talent around you that can do the job. There's not one part of this business that I run or the job that I do that I'm excellent in. And I don't think I ever will be excellent in it. I'm actually striving to be great. And I don't know if I'll ever be great at anything. But the, the, the one thing that I say I do fairly well is that I surround myself and my team is the people I surround myself with people that are very talented in what they do. And, and that ultimately makes your job as a leader much easier because again, I trust them with 100% certainty that they are going to be able to do their job well. Quite honestly, if they make a mistake, I give them the ability, and this is something I didn't mention before, and I think it's very important, Rob, because in business, people think that they make a mistake, they have to hide it or blame other people mm. because they're afraid that they're going to lose their job, get in trouble, or miss a promotion. And quite, quite honestly, I think that's the opposite. I think that if you actually make a mistake, that's not an egregious mistake and negligent. I mean, that's a different story if you do something right. purposely. But if you make a mistake because you're honestly have the best interests of your people and your business in mind, and it just happened not to be the right decision, but you take ownership over it, then to me, that gives me so much more respect for the leader because they own the mistake. They learned from the mistake. They made modifications to how they continue to do business and it makes them stronger. And as I said before, in the beginning, you don't, you don't get strong as a leader or as a person, as an athlete as anything, unless you challenge yourself, unless you have adversity, unless you have obstacles, when things are going well and everything's flowing, we don't get better. Mm. We get stagnant. Mm -hmm. We only get better when things are, are complex. I welcome people to make mistakes that are, are done in the, in the form of keeping the best interests of the business in mind, being aggressive in their approach to and innovative in their approach to the business and how we can do better as an organization. And if it happens not to be the right decision and they own that decision as the leader, then fantastic. Let's, mm -hmm. let's figure out how we fix it, what we learn from it. We do an after action review on a lot of more things that we do, just like in the fire service, you, you complete a, a large scale incident, a, a structure fire, you go back to the firehouse, you clean up and you sit there and you debrief. And you figure out, hey, what went well? What didn't go well? What can we do better the next time? What piece of equipment did we need that we did? The same thing goes for business. And, uh, and we do after action reviews all the time after, after national sales meetings, after POA meetings, after our leadership meetings. And we sit there, hey, what could we do better? What didn't work well? What worked well? And, uh, and whoever made the decision of why we did a certain thing that didn't work, they own it. And that's it. Just like a standard now. I think it's a great point. Some of the leaders that reported into me, I always found that I trusted them even more because they took ownership of it versus the ones right. that were always looking to blame others or make excuses. 
that's where the trust started to erode. So I think it's a great point. But as a leader, you have to create that environment that allows that. That's that's absolutely right. And I'll tell you a little secret that some of my people are going to catch on to, but some of them already know it. Sometimes people get frustrated Mm -hmm. and they complain about things. So two things. Number one, I have a two minute rule. Two minutes, an obstacle comes up, something difficult comes up. I give you two minutes to vent about it, complain a little bit about it. But after that, it's time to move on, come up with a solution, figure it out, learn from it, get it done. Same thing happens when you have a good success. Celebrate your success. You got two minutes to celebrate it, pat yourself on the back, feel good about it. But you know what? It's time to move on. We got to keep on moving. But what I do when people, I guess, are struggling with something, they feel like they're hopeless or things aren't working out the way that it should work out. I put them in charge of that. So if you complain to me about a task or a function within the organization that you're happy with, and you go on to tell me all the things that are wrong with it, now my team is aware because they've been with me for, for almost 18 months now. They know that if they do that, they either better have a solution or they just signed up to, to make the solution. Because I think when you give people the ownership and the authority and autonomy to solve the issue that they're complaining about, it allows them to buy into the process more. In other words, if the individual is stuck on why this process is done a certain way, and now they're responsible for fixing it, they will uncover why the process is being done that way. Or there may be another solution that they can help fix. But then they feel like they own the process and they buy into the process more. It works all the time. I will tell you that right now. Sometimes to the point where most people don't even complain to me anymore because they know they just signed up for another test. Right. But, but, but it's great. It, it, it's, it really works out well. That's a great technique. I love it. But again, psychology. Yeah, totally. Let me ask you this. Just going back to the turning the culture around, and I appreciate you sharing a lot of the different techniques and approaches. Love the simplicity of it. What would you say was, is the biggest challenge for you reflecting back and trying to turn that culture around? I think the biggest challenge for me was really getting a, a, a grasp of the, of the attrition. I was concerned. Why is everybody leaving? And how am I going to keep them here? And what am I going to do to drive me? The organization forward. And without our people, you don't have an organization. So that was the most critical thing for me. And as I said, implemented a bunch of those, those different tactics and, and the culture came, came around. It puts into perspective the importance of your people. Mm. Because you could have the best products in the world the best products in the world. And you could have great process in place to sell those products. But if you don't have the people, you don't have an organization. I don't care where people think the world is going from an automated AI standpoint, people are still behind everything. And if you don't have good people that want to be there, that will work, that will run through brick walls for you, you're just not going to have a successful business. So my team knows that I think my team down to the, to the representative level knows that I will do anything for them. I will run through walls for them. I will do anything I ask them to do. I have done or would do. And I treat everybody like they're my family. Like my, my direct reports are like my brothers and sisters and their direct reports are like my cousins and so on and so forth. And I treat everybody that way. As long as I get the same respect back from them, it makes it much easier for me to do that. I can see the, um, the crossover from the fire services into the business side. Oh yeah. The brotherhood and sisterhood that most 
on the business side would never understand unless they experience something like that. Right. Well, you got to understand too, because I mean, you were, you were, you're a fireman as well and military and law enforcement, the same, same type of scenario when your life is on the line yeah, and you're trusting somebody else with your life, that brotherhood and sisterhood is that bond is, is so powerful that it, it's very hard to break. And it's so important for you to function properly in your, in your job. It's not necessarily as life or death in the business world. But, you know, it surely can be translated there because without one another and without strong teams, the organization will not be strong. And each individual of the organization will not benefit from an organization that's performing well. So it does go to the individual level, but it has to be a team approach. Yeah, totally. Completely agree. Well, just, just last question here, going back to, again, knowing how passionate you are about leadership and you can clearly hear it just, just in, in this discussion, I know that you read a lot of leadership books, listen to podcasts. If there was one that you would recommend, whether it's a leadership book or, or a podcast, is there one that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah, Rob, people would say they joke around that they, they don't necessarily make fun of me for it, but they joke around that I'm very military like in my presence. I was never a military person back when I had the opportunity or would have had the opportunity to go into the military. There was no war, thankfully, at that time. And it was, it was prior to everything that we're experiencing now. So who knows, things would have changed differently for me. But I, I do tend to look at the military, again, because of the fire service and because a lot of friends that are in law enforcement, I tend to look at the military as the standard of, of leadership because they're just, it's a very complex leadership structure that follows discipline and an organizational structure that, that, that I'm interested in. So I, I gravitated towards some military leadership and in particular, Jocko Willink, who's a ex Navy SEAL who owns a company called Echelon Front with Leif Babin, who's, who is his partner. They wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And I, it's funny because I started doing this back in my first business that I was operating and that I was heading up. I would do uh, leadership journals every week as part of my staff calls. So we would have our staff call, talk business. And the last 10 minutes of every staff call to this day, with all my vice presidents and directors, we read a chapter of a leadership book and somebody's assigned that chapter and they have to summarize it to the team. Mm -hmm. And every team that I've led, I had them read that book and every one of them loved it. Uh, I also brought my direct reports to their leadership muster and I was a little, uh, apprehensive about it at first because I didn't know how everybody would feel about the, the military type of leadership, but their design on they, they, they run their organization. I feel a lot from them speaking of is geared towards how certain leadership principles in the military translate to business. Yeah. So I felt like. They can learn from that. So I would say to answer your question, extreme ownership is my number one choice and book that everyone should read in a leadership position. And if you have the opportunity to either attend yourself or take your team to their musters, one of their musters, it would be a great opportunity, not only for a team building exercise, but also just for really learning leadership principles in real life. Yeah, I love the book, Extreme Ownership. And I think a lot of people in the business world don't realize, they, they look at the military as if it's a very, very authoritarian, it's a dictatorship almost. But what they don't realize is that 
it's kind of what you described before in terms of your approach and how you turned around the culture. You have to give autonomy, right? It's, yeah. it's, and, and again, a lot of the principles, the great leadership principles in the business world come from the military. That's right. And a lot of people don't, don't even realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate That's you. Totally sharing. right. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Love the technique, by the way. Having your leadership team read a chapter and, and rotating it, I think that's a great best practice for everyone out there. It, it, it came with a little resistance in the beginning because some of them felt like, hey, we're adults here. We're, we're at vice president, director levels, and you're having us do what? And I was like, let's see how it works. And yeah. now they all welcome it. They actually all work together to select the book after we're done with one going into the next. And from what I understand, they're even doing it with their teams too. So it's amazing. I mean, leadership is a lifelong journey of learning. It doesn't end. That's right. That's yeah. right. So that's right. You have to invest in it. Absolutely. Well, Rob, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story, your leadership journey, and, and just talking about some of the, the best practices you shared, particularly around even how you change the culture. I have no doubt everyone out there listening will get a lot of value from it. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, I hope they do. And I appreciate you having me, Rob. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend or colleague who you think might also get some value from it. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast.